Three minutes after 12 here, Saturday afternoon. Yeah, we got uh, lines open, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. You're in pain. You've got some problems, got some issues, didn't get through to call in last week. Uh, give us a call now on the lines. Dr. Lou here until 1 o'clock. You want to email info at paincarecanada.com. And if you're booking a uh, consultation, one eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U. Week that was. How was it, pal? Very good week. Good, How man. about you, John? Good. I'm all right. Yeah. Cold, but I'm all right. Yeah, today's pretty cold. Yep. Uh, some interesting cases this week, and we always start with a few clinical cases that I've gone through. Uh, one of the big things, and we we talk about this all the time, is the numbness, tingling, those types of symptoms. Mm-hmm. Had a gentleman that came in with uh, numbness and tingling in his right leg. Um, on the thigh part, so at the front, which is a little less common, right? We often hear people say the back of the Mm -hmm. thigh down into the leg, but this is in the front of the leg. Um, Says that after I've gone through it with him a little bit, he's gone to every single person you can imagine about what's potentially going on here. He had an MRI with him, which showed uh, some findings on there. When we went through his case, uh, one of the biggest things that, that really jumped out to me, which is pretty classic, um, presentation of someone with stenosis is that he said that he once he started walking after about two or three minutes he would start feeling that numbness tingling that tiredness in right. his thigh and then as soon as he would sit down within one or two minutes it would be totally gone and that's characteristic that's like textbook presentation of someone presenting with stenosis it's very hard for me to describe stenosis well over the radio it's, okay. a, it's, it's a more visual thing but the term stenosis just means a narrowing and when we look at the anatomy of the spine, there's a couple things. You have right where the spinal cord um, travels through the spinal canal. Yep. You can get stenosis in that where that canal narrows. That will tend to cause symptoms on both sides of the body. Then at each level of the spine, you also have where the nerve roots go out and go to the body. So those are called the IVFs. Those can also become stenotic and narrow. And that's very common with degenerative changes. Um, so after examining him, because he's gone to a couple people, some people were telling him, you know, it, it just seemed like a disc herniation and that's kind of, those symptoms are often more common in disc herniation. So a lot of practitioners will just opt out to go with what's most common and easiest and not go through a proper exam with people. Right. Um, but then once we got, we went through it again, classic stenosis presentation, but this person wants advice on how does he get better or how does he manage this? Because that's what's really been missing. And a lot of what I taught him was again, it's, it's a much more visual thing to show, but understanding the anatomy of a lateral stenosis when where the nerve is, anything that's flexion-based in the waist will actually open up that space. Um, and so he's been trying to go to the gym because someone recommended to him that he needs to rehabilitate right. his core in order to have a healthy back, which they're totally right. Uh, but the bad thing that he was doing was a lot of that the work that he was doing at the gym was extension-based which for a disc herniation would actually be very good, but for something like a stenosis is actually very bad. So you want to focus more on the flexion-based things. Um, and one of the biggest things that you have people who have stenosis is you get them riding a bike because that allows their pelvis to be in a flex position. It allows them to work out their cardiovascular health, and it keeps that spine in that healthy position to open up that IVF so that mm. the nerve is working well. So a lot of it was just simply management about... Um, how do you actually manage this issue? The other thing we were able to identify was oftentimes if you have a little bit of a skull. So when you look at a scoliosis, which is a curvature in the spine that's quote unquote not normal, um, they're not really significant unless they're more than 20 or 25 degrees, uh, which is pretty bad. But oftentimes a lot of people can have more mild 
uh, forms of a scoliosis. And he had a little bit of a scoliosis. Mm -hmm. Now, what that also did was when you have a scoliosis, your body tends to compensate, which means your pelvis will rise on one side. And where it rises means one leg is potentially going to be a little bit longer and the other leg is going to be a little bit shorter. And so one of the things that I found that was causing his problem is that he also has, because his symptoms were all in one leg. So we are also introducing a heel lift. Uh, into underneath the short leg to really start to make a difference on that aspect. But again, the biggest thing that I try to do with all patients that I see is spend a lot of time educating them. So uh, I'll spend about half an hour just really explaining everything, making sure they understand it, because I really do feel that knowledge is power in healthcare. And if you understand what's going on, uh, you'll be able to make a difference. And, and, you know, just the things he was saying, like no one's ever told me to avoid the extension. In fact, people have showed me those types of exercises and that's actually going to make things worse. So I showed him the right things to do. I, I also told him, listen to your body. Um, and I also got him in contact with one of our providers out in Oakville, just because he lives in Burlington. So it was a little bit of a ways to to come to my actual home base. Um, and so, yeah, so, but very, very happy. I had seen a lot of people, uh, never really got anything explained to him the right way. And now he finally has, and, and now he can start worrying about actually managing his issue. So with the heel lift and, and the, the cycling, how, like, what kind of time frame till he starts to feel some relief right away? Or? So with something like a stenosis, it's not really about a cure, a quote unquote right. cure. It's what management. it is, is a management right. and a slowing of the progression. So, um, with something like a stenosis, when you do feel the symptoms, what you have to do is go into a lot of those flexion-based exercises, and that will help to relieve your symptoms. So it's not really about, you know, can we, he's still going to have to walk, obviously, and he's still going to get a little bit of, of numbness, but now he understands what he can do in the meantime to um, open up that area. And, and, you know, the more things he does to offset the bad things, the better he'll feel long-term. Mm-hmm. So it won't necessarily stop, uh, but it'll definitely be managed and under control where he can live and have a, a quality of life. Nice. Yeah. For sure. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. We'll take a short break. Phone lines are wide open. you got some concerns, health concerns, you're in pain, all that stuff. It doesn't matter. Bring it on. Dr. Lou is here. Dr. Payne Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. 1213, Dr. Payne Show till 1 o'clock. Yeah, 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. We'll uh, get to the phone calls. Juliana, good afternoon. Hello. Yeah, hi. Hi. Okay, what do you want to know? Uh, I was going to ask you the same thing. What's your concern? (laughs) My concern is that I have uh, had back problem for many years, but it didn't bother me till about 10 years ago I had open heart surgery. I have a sternum removed. And I just cannot cope. I my back left side starts from the neck all the way down to mid um, body, right waist. And um, I know I I have sciatica, but this nothing. To compare, and I went to many doctors. I went to um, a polyclinic. They told me that they can help me, but since I'm on the Comodin, they cannot do anything for me because I might bleed in um, 
internally, mm. and that's it. Okay, so uh, let me ask you something, Juliana. So you yes. had open heart surgery. How old are you? I am. I'm going to be seventy nine in a month. Okay, and are you overweight at all? No. No. Okay. No. Yeah. I mean. Anytime after surgery, the one thing about any type of surgery is when you go in and you start moving things, the body obviously has all those things there for a reason. And as you start removing them, um, it could potentially create pain syndromes and things going on. Oftentimes, though, the problems tend to heal. And one of the things that I talk about a lot is the, the actual way that you think affects your pain levels, right? So if you're more of a negative thinker and um, things always seem wrong, then your pain is always going to be amplified. So in situations such as yours, uh, where someone has had, you know, some type of severe surgery and and that's led to some type of pain, oftentimes there's no physical cure for that, but there is a way to manage it through cognitive behavior therapy. So where you actually start to change your beliefs about the way you feel about your pain, you start to become more of a positive outlook versus a negative outlook. And those things can help your pain levels very, very much. Doctor. Yes. That's my thing. I am always positive. They even, I go to hospital quite often and they say, how can you be so damn cheerful, so positive mm-hmm. when you're in such a pain? Yeah. So now it's important to understand that there is a difference between being positive about everything else and being negative about your pain levels, right? So the way that you think about your pain levels, just the very fact that you're always thinking about pain uh, means that your pain is going to be amplified. That's what I'm trying to talk about. That's where it's, I, I often will tell people this in my office, that they need some type of cognitive behavior therapy to change the way they think about it. And they think it's something that they can do on their own. It's not that simple. Uh, you do need a trained professional, a psychologist, a social worker, someone trained in cognitive behavior therapy for pain management that really focuses on the beliefs and your attitudes around the pain specifically not about everything because there's plenty of people that are positive in life about you know one thing but think about something else a totally wrong way and so it's more about the 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 thinking related to your pain levels um and and that's more important but if you're interested give us a call after the show i can help set you up with someone who might be able to help you with those types of things we can also go through your case a little bit more because it obviously sounds uh complicated and and probably requires yeah and it requires a little bit more time on my end for sure Juliana, that number, if you need, one eight five 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 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U, one eight five 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 doctor Lou. We've got uh, Christina. Hi, Christina. Good morning, or good afternoon. Anyway, how are you? Um, all right, I guess, under oh. the circumstances. Okay, what's going on with you? Um, I've now been off work for five years. Um, I had uh, some previous injuries. I had scoliosis uh, that was diagnosed young, Um it was pretty much gone by university. I had two ACL reconstructions due to soccer. And then I was in a car accident in 2010. Um, after the car accident, I started getting extreme pain in my neck, um, between my shoulder blades, um, in the front near the clavicle. And right now, after a lot of treatment, I've done, um, uh, I do nerve blocks every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I to see chiropractors, physiotherapists. I'm constantly getting the weak arm, um, the arm turning blue or gray, uh, losing strength anytime I use my upper body. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gone to have a new family doctor because the old one retired, 
and he keeps telling me that I have migraines. Okay. And that that's what the cause is. Mm-hmm. But the pain originates in my neck and shoulder and clavicle area. Okay. So I sort of thought that I had thoracic outlet syndrome, and a couple of physiotherapists had suggested that. I haven't had an official diagnosis. But any of the exercises that I'm doing, like with resistant bands and stuff, tend to make it worse. Right. So I'm just wondering if I'm one of those cases where it's a matter of it is thoracic outlet and there's like it's got to be surgically dealt with. Like okay. I don't have an additional rib or anything. But. Right. So, so yeah, let's start with, again, thoracic outlet syndrome is more of a clinical sign than it is a diagnosis. And what I mean by that for you know, but our listeners, our other listeners probably aren't aware, thoracic outlet syndrome is that a lot of the nerves that come out of your neck go into your upper limb. And um, you can have different things impinging on those nerves, causing symptoms in the arm, which we term as a thoracic outlet syndrome. Now, you can have things such as you just mentioned, uh, Christina, like a cervical rib, an extra rib that might be putting pressure on those nerves. And yeah, you know, if it's a cervical rib, then yeah, maybe surgery is what you would need to do if you wanted to have it removed. But you wouldn't just develop a a rib after a car accident. So obviously, in your case, that's not it. So the other culprits oftentimes of of uh, thoracic outlet syndrome is some type of mechanical impingement on uh, the nerve, such as, you know, tight scaling muscles in the neck or a tight pec minor, just because that's the nerves go under that area as well. Uh, other things, it could be, uh, it could be a vascular in, in, in nature as well. It could be more related to the blood vessels causing those types of symptoms. And that needs to be assessed properly. Um, what I see about that, because I'm trying to push my family doctor to explain, like, just because the pain in my arm turns into a migraine sometimes, mm-hmm. that I it's not a migraine, but that's all he's writing it off as and tells me to take an Advil. But I don't know what specialist I should be asking to see. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, anybody that's better suited to assess musculoskeletal issues. Um, the thing is, though, the, the one of the things here is you, you be, he believes it's a migraine and you don't believe it's a migraine. So there's a bit of a conflict between patient and doctor. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm listening to your side of the story. Your symptoms could also be consistent with migraines, right? So uh, we can't say for sure that it's not. Uh, And, you know, if a medical professional is suggesting that that's what it sounds like it could be, then it may very well be something like that. Um, It could also be a combination of things. Here's the other thing in healthcare. You're allowed to have thoracic outlet syndrome, migraines, and neck pain all happening at the same time, which is often the case. Um, And so it's about management of all the issues going on and not just one potential diagnosis. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it sounds like it's complicated for sure. You, it would need, I, the only way for me to know for sure is a proper assessment. If you're interested, we can definitely help with that. Christina, number one, eight, five, 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 Dr. Lou or info at paintharecanada.com for an email. More of your phone calls coming up here on the station. Want to call us through 870-6400, star 640 on sale. Dr. Payne Show, talk radio, AM 640. 1225, Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400, star 640. Pardon me on sale. John, good afternoon. Hi there. What's going on with you? Good. Um, I'm in my uh, 50s, and uh, I suffer from lower back pain. My job, uh, I've been on the same job for over 30 years, and Mm. I have to uh, lift up to 50 pounds, repetitive lifting. Um, I go for massages once every two months. That seems to help. But at the end of a heavy day, 
my back, lower back is really sore and I have to take a, uh, like an Epsom salt bath to relieve the pain. Is there anything I can be doing differently? Yeah. How much rehabilitation have you done? Like proper exercising for your low back? I haven't done any. Yeah. yeah. So, so usually with these types of things that are long-standing chronic issues with non-specific causes, um, and especially somebody that's you know doing a physical job such as yourself, uh, John, you you need to have a healthy core. And so there's some very specific exercises that can be done to increase the endurance and strength of your core, which the core is consistent of the abdomen, the glutes, and also the back musculature. And keeping that area healthy is what really prevents chronic low back pain, or or at the very least helps to keep it under control. So um, it's often the thing that should be introduced first, but for whatever reason is not. And unfortunately, there's a, a ton of cases such as yourself of people who have chronic issues and have never been shown proper back rehabilitation and that is the key to getting better and at least managing it the right way yeah my concern is it's not getting better and what steps would i take to make it better if you're uh, like go through your program or yeah sure give it give us a call or i'll have uh, we have your number here we'll we can reach out to you um and then you know we we would do a proper assessment to start to see uh exactly what's going on what other potential causes there are but if it's something like just chronic back pain with a non-specific cause that's really due to uh, a, a core weakness which is probably what i'm suspecting then we would just give you some exercises and that's all stuff that you'll be doing on your own you just have to be religious with it and as long as you follow through with the program people get better okay thank you very no much no problem all right appreciate that jeff uh, good afternoon how are you Hi, uh, good. Thank you for taking my call. Real quick, doctor, uh, I've been a migraine sufferer. Here's the history of migraine sufferer since 1992, and uh, I'm on Relpax, and I've done the migranol, and I've gone through all of the uh, uh, sublingual or whatever it is under the tongue, mm-hmm. and uh, I do apologize for this. Hold on, I'm sorry. Um, my question is, I had to change over to a... I get a large double-double. Wow. <laughs> Outstanding. I, 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 I'm so sorry. I apologize. A large PC with three sugars. <laughs> oh, my God. I love this. This is amazing. What a Saturday this has been. That's okay. Well, only on the doctor. Give me a donut, brother. Give me a donut. Yeah. Sorry. And um, bringing me back to uh, the pain, I've changed, uh, I've changed medications, and I've noticed that it's increased the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, changing it to other medications that come out for migraines every so often. What I have noticed is, though, the only one that has never given me a side effect, but there's addiction issues, would be the Demerol. And now doctors will not prescribe that uh, any of these heavy narcotics anymore because of new laws. And, and a lot of people have simply been abusing it for the wrong reasons. Right. Um, uh, what I want to know is, I used to be with the Migraine Association, and this is it's up to it's getting to a point of a debilitating like my life it's it's coming to it like i can't function when this pain comes on okay so um it's changing from the meds could that be it or should i be just staying straight on something that's been working and deal with the addiction issues after right so so any very specific question like that that's specific to your case is obviously hard for me to answer uh properly just because obviously i've not assessed you could pain meds uh, or switching them be a culprit of pain? Yes, potentially. Uh, is it the case in in your case? I'm not sure. I would have to really assess you, figure out what's going on, uh, go through the whole history that you have, and then from there um, try to determine what's going on. Now, one of the other things that I often caution uh, patients about, because this goes back to the psychology of pain, 
people are often too worried about figuring out what's causing it, mm -hmm. right? And that worryingness is takes up the time that you could be doing things to get better. So right. a lot of the times, I'll, e even if you see me, I may not know, right? Because I haven't, I, I'm not in your life. This could have happened many years ago. Uh, what we try to figure out is this something that's life-threatening, because if that is, then obviously that has to be dealt with. But if it's benign and from a management standpoint, at a certain point, I'll just tell people, don't worry about uh, like exactly when it started, why it would have started. Let's just worry about dealing with it, because that's the only reality that we know. And everything right. else is just going to be a hypothesis and a guess, and it will take up valuable time and energy from doing the right things to get it better. So if you're interested, Jeff, give us a call. Uh, we can Absolutely. set up an assessment. And, uh, thank and, you so much, and I like my coffee black if you're coming uh, back. <laughs> 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. I see you, Dini. Hang on. We'll get to your call. And if you're planning to call through, we got some open lines. Give us a call right up to 1 o'clock here, the Dr. Payne Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. It is 1232. The Dr. Payne Show continues here. Yeah, give us a call up to 1 o'clock. You have some issues, some questions. Dr. Lou will uh, we'll take them on. Dini, hello. How are you? Hi. How are you? Okay. Morning. What's your concern? I know there's no magic pills, but I'm kind of looking for a quick fix. Nah, uh, it's going to okay. be tough. Yeah. I know there's no quick fixes. No such is. thing in life and in healthcare. Oh, man, oh, man. Yeah. But anyway, I have a terrible uh, pain in the vaginal area. I went to a gynecologist. Big mistake. And he put me on C-L-O-B-E-T-A-S-O-L. Okay. Got it? Mm -hmm. And he also put me on Silocaine which was supposed to be numbing, but it wasn't numbing. It was very painful. Now, it was supposed to be applied locally. I'm not used to locally. I'm used to topical or vaginally. So what did I do? I put it inside, not in deep, just at the beginning of the vagina area. And I applied it there, and I did it for two days. Same with the silocaine. He told me to put it on three or four times a day. Oh, my God, my God. I'm, I'm even trembling. I'm taking Tylenol every four hours. And uh, that's coming in a little bit. But this morning, I think I was losing it. I don't think I, I'm managing today very well. That's why I'm calling. Is there something that can get it out of my tissue now? Like, is there a sit bath to put something in it or just plain warm water? Oh, my God. Well, I'll tell you this. If, if this is how bad you're feeling, this is probably, you know, maybe you should be going to a local emergency room and, and figuring yeah. it out. Just, you know, that's really not my area of expertise, uh, obviously. And, uh, um, you know, one of the big things that we can touch on uh, based on, the, you know, your call is that anytime you're given something, you should be following the indications yep. that the doctor and the pharmacist has given you. Uh, uh, see, I didn't go to the pharmacy. Uh, my husband did, and so she might not have explained it correctly. Well, yeah, but again, that is that's it's your responsibility as a consumer, right? So, uh, uh, unfortunately, that's the reality: is that when you don't follow the proper indications and yep. you start using things the wrong way, yep. these are the types of things that could happen. Right. This is uh, what happened. Yeah, so I'm not really sure of what the quick fix for that would be. I would say that if you're feeling worse and things really feel off, uh, you never know what could be happening. The, the best way to expedite care for yourself at this point would be going to a local emergency room. I've been. Okay. Yeah. I've been. I went. I went, uh, and uh, the, there was a farm, uh, the gynecologist was on call. He came in, he says, what can we do for you? I says, I have terrible pain down here. Well, let's have a look. Oh, you look like you got a yeast infection. 
And he says, go get her a couple of Tylenol. And walked, and he was leaving. He didn't want to be bothered with me. He had more urgent calls to look after. So anyway, uh, that well, was it. Do you, do you have a family doctor? Oh, yeah. I, I, I seen her on Thursday. Yeah. And she's going to send me to the uh, Women's College Hospital. Yeah, so that, that sounds like it's all the right management. So, uh, you know, if the, you're ever unhappy with the advice that a healthcare practitioner gives you, uh, it's called a second opinion. Yeah, get a go second opinion, else. get it, go talk to someone else that you trust, go back to your family doctor, say, send, send me somewhere else. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Richard, good afternoon. How are you? Good. What's going on, pal? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been uh, telling you, uh, responded here, I've been having these awful cramps in my legs below the knee, especially the left knee. Now, I did have back problems so about eight years ago, and over time I've been noticing these increases in, uh, in my cramps. Uh, I've seen a sports medicine doctor and a nurse doctor, and nothing seems to help. My regular practitioner tells me to just keep stretching my legs, my calf, so I want to know if this is back-related or should I be looking at something else? When did the cramps happen? Well, over time, since uh, about 2008 or something like that. And now they're, when they come on, it's I'm screaming. It's that, that but what, what point in the day? Like what usually makes oh, it come usually on? Usually what happens is when I'm lying down on a couch or in bed when I'm sleeping. When I'm walking, I'm okay. Uh, Nothing happens when I have a good walk or even yeah. short walks. So, so the only thing that I can say is, again, without in the absence of me assessing you, it's hard for me to say for sure. But what I can tell you, when you look at cramping in the legs, you can look at things like it could be a deficiency in some type of a of a mineral, right? Um, I've been tested for all yeah, that. I right. don't find anything. So. Yeah. The other thing it could be is neurological. Uh, and by neurological, I mean everything that affects the nerve, meaning could be at the spine level, could be at the spinal cord level, could also be at the brain level. The other thing to also consider is vascular issues. Uh, and oftentimes things like vo uh, vascular claudication in the lower limb may be causing something like that. And, that's, and all of those things would need to be assessed in different ways. Now, there are a lot of tests that a good practitioner with good clinical acumen could do in their office to start getting an idea of is it more one the other uh, and then point you in the right direction from there. So that would be my best advice at this point. To see a regular practitioner? A, a practitioner who's confident in their physical assessment uh, testing because there are te some tests that you can do to differentiate between neurological versus vascular things. Um, where do you live? In North York. North York. Give us a call. I'll help set you up with somebody that can take a look at this. Because I've been to my regular practitioner, and it's just a young person. They don't know. Even the per person who retired, they don't know where to start. They think it's back problem issues. Well, you know what? Come see me. I'm a young person. I'm 31. I, I know where to start. How's that? Oh, okay, good enough. <laughs> All right. Okay. We'll take a, a short break. Thank you, Richard. Uh, if you're calling through, uh, give us a couple minutes. We'll be back with you. 416-870-6400, star 640. And sell the Dr. Payne Show continues. Talk radio. AM 640. It is 1242, the Dr. Payne Show. Tournament burn. I've got phone calls coming through. You've got uh, you got lots of time. 416-870-6400, star 640. On your cell, Ginny, good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. No I'm calling because I've got um, the same problem that my mom has. Uh, I've had it for probably 10 years. She's had it for 30-plus years, but I'm calling on her behalf. Okay. Uh, it's in the upper right shoulder blade. She's tried a slew of medications, uh, acupuncture, me medical marijuana, chiropractors, massage therapists, uh, anything under the sun, uh, nerve blockers. 
nothing has happened. So I'm calling to see if maybe there's something that she can do and something that I can start to do to avoid the pain. Right. She's off work for it. It's, it's separate. <laughs> so, so what is it exactly? Like So it is a sharp burning pain um, in the upper right shoulder blade, kind of like right just under the shoulder blade. It's hard to describe. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's especially aggravated mostly for her when she either drives, she tries to cook, to do dishes, to basically do anything. So let me ask uh, you something. Has most yeah. of the treatment uh, that both you and your mom have had for this stuff been focused around that specific area? Uh, they've tried everything. So the nerve blockers were exactly right in the pinpoint spot of the problem. Um, mm -hmm. She can't really do chiropractors or massage therapy anymore because it just it hurts too much for them to even press on her back there. Right. So one of the things with that, and again, all of these things without me seeing it, I'm never 100% sure. For sure. But one of the things when you look at the parascapular area, the area that you're describing, um, oftentimes people uh, have pain in that area and everything gets focused to that area. One thing that's often missed is there's a nerve that comes from the neck called the long thoracic nerve uh, that goes down to that area. And oftentimes, if you have something like a disc herniation or a slight bulge that puts pressure on that nerve with certain movements, um, it can create the sensation in that area. And, and oftentimes, people don't really have neck pain. And so all of the treatment intervention seems to be focused towards that area of the symptom, but not taking into consideration uh, where the etiology, which means where it may be arising and treating that uh, more distant area, such as the neck. That's a possibility. It may not be that. Um, one of the other things similar to the last uh, or a few callers ago uh, that's often missed in a lot of these chronic issues is proper rehabilitation um, and, and healthy diet and those things that are the active components. So a lot of the times uh, people are relying on the passive therapies. What can someone do for me? What are pills? Yeah. What therapy, et cetera, et cetera. But oftentimes the most important time, uh, the most important thing with these types of uh, situations is doing proper rehabilitation and getting that body healthy. And that can take a long time, but it is the most effective. I've been going to the gym, and I find it helps my problem. Exactly. She's yep. so far gone that she can't really do these small movements without severe pain. Yeah. Well, the, the thing about proper so anybody so when when you talk about rehabilitation, rehabilitation isn't you know the the standard stuff you would see in the gym. We will take any individual and work within their limitations to for them to do the exercises. So I never look at a person and say that they're too far gone to be doing active exercises. We would just modify it so that it's something that she could deal with within her level of limitation that she currently has. Okay, okay. no problem. Take All care. Right, thank you again. One eight five 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 five. Doctor Lou is the number. Jones, hello there. Hey Jones. Um, listen, I, I've, I've got a problem, and I'm sure you know. I'm in my fifties. Uh, many other guys probably have it. Uh, and I noticed because you know, I'm, um, I'm getting my penis is getting more and more dry as I get older. So I, I, I put on some baby oil and mineral oil. And it, it, it gets goes away, but I notice there are red patches on the top of the skin when you pull back. You know, um, and it's. I stop using more, uh, more iron and that sort of thing. Um, it, it, it can get, get very tender, uh, no matter what, uh, if I, uh, you know, lubricate it nicely. Um, I, I notice, you know, it still gets uh, dry, um, but um, it's getting better. But the, the, the red patches and the tenderness uh, at the top, you know, and around the uh, the skin that covers it, 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 it can get tender. Um, is that... 
Uh, is there an ointment or something I can use to take this away, or is there a condition you think is, is it cancerous or something? Well, I mean, again, without me seeing anything, I'm never 100% sure what I could tell you um, is that have you been checked out at all by anybody for this? No, I haven't gone to my doctor recently. Yeah, so um, so I, this I'm is something to... you should get checked. It could be something uh, like precancerous, could be some type of a an STD. Um, you know, it could be something the the type of detergent that you're using in your clothing. Yeah. Uh, it could be a, some type of uh, thing that you're doing in your life, like if you just started recently running or something, that, causing chafe. I'm not sure. There's a whole host of things that it could be. I would say that if you haven't had this. Uh, looked at, you'd want to first and foremost start to rule out the very uh, more se- severe things and serious things, uh, such as an STD or some type of uh, of a precancerous lesion or what something. Like- an STD, uh, sexually transmitted disease, I guess. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And many of these things may be curable at an early stage. It's just um, a matter of checking it out. And uh... yeah, it's tra- and, and and you know, a lot of times people will say, "Oh no, it can't be an STD," but a lot of STDs can lay dormant in the body for long periods of time before they render symptoms. So it could be Hmm. something like that. So uh, I would definitely say that you should be getting that checked out and, um, and having all those options looked at by some type of a professional. Okay, thank you so much. No problem. Thanks, Jones. Appreciate that. So we'll take a short break. 416-870-6400. Star 640 on sale. We got open lines. Bring them on. You have questions to be uh, answered and asked until 1 o'clock. Dr. Payne Show right here. Talk Radio AM 640. 1252. You got a few minutes. Still want to call in. 416-870-6400. Star 640 on sale. This hour is flying by. Before all our uh, string of phone calls, what were we talking about? Yeah, shingles. We were talking about. Yeah, yes. we were gonna. I was gonna mention a clinical case that mm. I had because I thought it was very interesting. But we had some calls coming in. Uh, I had a gentleman come in who's about late sixties, um, had shingles in two thousand and nine. Now, what can happen after you have shingles uh, is you can ha- develop something called postherpatic neuralgia, mm-hmm. uh, which is just essentially pain in the distribution of the shingles that's long lasting. Uh, this patient also had. Uh, has Parkinson's, so it's compounded. Anytime you have more than one health concern going on, every you, your prognosis goes down. It's just the reality of everything. Uh, but what I really found most, I'll say interesting, but really I mean concerning about this case is that since 2009, this gentleman uh, has been seen by dozens of different healthcare well. professionals. He's in fact even gone to some of the best pain clinics that we have here in the city. Um, and as I was reviewing everything that he had, I was actually a little bit disappointed in what I saw that our healthcare was doing because um, one of the things, and I thought this was, again, interesting but very concerning, oftentimes where the, the shingles was, there can be a rash that's left over. Now, it doesn't really mean anything except that it's a, a clinical finding. And I was reading one report that said that the patient had no clinical rash. Uh, and so I start, as I was talking to him, I said to his wife, so there's no rash that you've noticed? And she said, oh, it's there, but they say it's not there. And I was kind of like, okay, well, whose opinion do I take? So I said, let me let me take a look at it. And sure enough, this big, massive uh, scar that's still there after. Um, and then I started talking to him about what did he initially do after he was diagnosed right. with the shingles. And he went to his family doctor's office, and the family doctor just told him, Yep, it looks like shingles, it'll go away on its own. Now, what should have probably been done is some type of a of an antiviral uh, medication given, as well as potentially some type of a corticosteroid to actually combat the virus as it's happening. Hmm. And so there is the potential that 
he has this post-herpatic neuralgia, which doesn't always happen after shingles because it seemed to have been mismanaged in the beginning. Uh, and now he, this this person's been put on a slew of different medications um, that you know can make his Parkinson's uh, even worse. Uh, after they saw me, I once again spent a lot of time explaining to them what was going on, which uh, his wife said that no one in since 2009 has Seven ever- Seven years. Has ever explained exactly what shingles was, what post-herpatic neuralgia was. And finally, I was able to educate them. And I basically recommended that what they needed was uh, potentially some type of a nerve uh, block or a Botox injection to really mm. stop the nerve from being overactive. Uh, again, and the other thing that I recommended, which we've talked about a few times now on today's show, is that this this gentleman was very, very negative. As soon as I saw him, I said, how you doing? He said, horrible, right? And uh, and his wife was saying, you know, he's always got this really bad attitude about this. And again, it just highlights the can't fact that- Can't blame the guy, right? You no, know, so, you, you yeah. can't blame the guy for sure. And I'm not, and I'm not blaming him. Yeah. What I am suggesting is that people need to sometimes realize that attitude and try to get the professional help that they need from a cognitive behavior standpoint in order to make that- uh, change in their thought patterns because it will help the, their pain levels. Uh, and, and again, I spoke to him at length about that. He was very, very happy. His wife was very, very happy. Uh, she wants to follow up to after the nerve block with me uh, just to see how things are going. And I didn't even need to see him again, uh, but she simply said she would rather I explain things to her. So once again, it was just an example of taking the time with people, going through everything, and uh, again, education is power. You should, uh, I guess they should know as well that CBT, the cognitive behavioral therapy, I mean, that, that's work on both sides. A good clinician's great at doing it, but you have to, oh, you yeah. have to put in 100%. the effort. Because I've been and, through it. And that, you have to. Most of the rehabilitation uh, in healthcare is is really two sided, right? Mm-hmm. We've we've now had a couple callers today where uh, they d- they did a lot of the passive treatment, and I get a lot of people that say, "No, I've I've already done. I've had physio, I've had massage, I've had acupuncture, I've had a chiropractor work on me, I've had an osteopath, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Have you have you done any exercises? No. Right. And so same thing, anything that is bound to work requires effort from both the treating professional and you're right from the patient themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's both on the physical side, doing your rehab, the proper rehab, and then also on the cognitive side, a good therapist, like you're suggesting, who can walk you through these things. But again, if you're not practicing it in every minute of every day of your life, you can't make a, a cognitive change without actually being consistent about uh, making the change for yourself. And I remember one of my first clinicians when I was a student said to me, uh, you can only really help someone as much as they want to help themselves. Mm-hmm. And it is really true. It's oftentimes sad because you do see a lot of people that you really want to try to help, but some people just don't want to help themselves and they have a certain attitude, they have a certain outlook uh, that just prevents them from wanting to get better. Uh, and I try to educate these people that they have that type of an attitude. But again, I can't force anybody to to, to do things um, and if I can't force them, all I do is make my recommendations. But one of the things that I find is people who are coming to me want to make a difference in their lives. And that that's step one. That makes a huge difference. And if you're calling me and if you're calling to come see me, that clearly means you want to make a change. And wanting to make that change is the first step in getting better or potentially getting better or at the very least managing what you have going on. I hear it all the time, people yeah. that are coming in. I, I'm too far gone. There's nothing that can help me. It's not true. There's lots that can still be done. 
There's never a shortage of techniques, new things that are coming out. Uh, and again, that doesn't need to just be in the form of a pill. People forget that a lot of the breakthrough stuff going on in healthcare actually is more based around physical medicine and and, and the interventions that you can do with different types of therapy. So uh, give me a call if anyone's listening. You have pain, you need to get it solved. We can at least try to to figure it out and and point you in the right direction. Been a jam full hour. The number one eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U one eight five 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 Doctor Lou or info at paincarecanada.com. Till next time, next weekend, the Doctor Pain Show Talk Radio AM six forty.